Um, all right. Got a couple of things I want to share with you. I, I told you two weeks ago, for the last two weeks, uh, I'm sharing some things with you with a little bit of fear and trepidation just because uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm here yet. But I believe that what I'm sharing with you is true, and I am working on it in my own life. There is a process of working out your salvation that means we change over time. I hope it means we change over time. That we are not simply the same people day in and day out. Um, I'm sure you look at your own life, you're not the same person you were a few years ago, maybe a few weeks ago. And as we continue to grow and continue to understand what is it that Christ's calling us to, um, there is much that we really not only don't understand, but we just don't have the time to figure out. The first week we got together, we talked about simple faith. Simple faith is simply this. We believe that God is real. We, be, we believe that He is true. We believe that what He tells us is not only true, but it is necessary, and we trust Him. And in so doing, our faith in Him is that He is trustworthy, that He will take care of us, that we do need to repent of our sins, and that we have an opportunity to not only be forgiven, but experience Him for all of eternity because of what Christ did on the cross. We follow that up talking about simple worship. Simple worship cannot be understood unless we have a view of God that says he is more worthy than anything else in existence. And so when we come to worship, whether it be in this setting or whether it be in your car on your way to work or way home from work or at home or when you get up early in the morning, whenever you have those moments that you just simply say within your heart and within your mind, God, you are the greatest that there is. And it is a privilege to know you and to be able to spend time with you and to speak with you. And when we sing songs, we don't just sing songs because we like the songs. We don't just like the words, but instead they are songs from our hearts to him. There are times that we'll sing a song and uh, it, the, the lyrics take me to one place and then I, div, I diverge. I don't know about you, but all of a sudden my mind goes racing in another direction just thinking about God. And I hope you have those moments in your time of simple worship. Worship is giving Him the glory, not trying to get the glory for ourselves. We moved into simple love. What if we really believe what Jesus said when He said, a new commandment I give to you that you would love your neighbor as you love yourself. When He gave... I was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? He said, first is love God. The second is love other people around you. And so what would happen if we just chose to go out and demonstrate with our lives that God loves every person we come in contact with? What if they just knew that we loved them and that God loves them? How would that change the conversation? Anytime we begin to talk about love, we have to follow that up because love is a very subjective term. What feels loving to one does not feel loving to another. And we have to recognize that God does have certain principles and certain boundaries in place that we must learn and embrace and accept if we believe that God is true and what he says is necessary. And, and that pursuit is a pursuit of righteousness, the pursuit of holiness. And that characteristic is given to us in two ways. One, it is given to us through Jesus Christ. He is the source of our holiness, not our own efforts. That's crucial for us to understand because a lot of time when we start talking about righteousness, we, we each have our own list of rules. <laughs> and, and yet what God is saying is, is I, I am holy and I am inviting you into relationship with me and I want you to see what this is about, but I want you to pursue the same character that I have. And so understanding holiness is simple, but not simplistic. In fact, all these things are simple, not simplistic. Today, I want to talk to you about pulling all these together and, and something that God has been kind of urging me towards for some time now, and that's about how to live a simple life. And in living a simple life, it, again, is not simplistic. I, 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 we could have been here all day today. As I started putting notes together, talking about, well, what do I feel like God is saying in all of this? Uh, we could have been here all day today. I thought, this is not simple. <laughs> How am I going to get up and say this is, a, this is what it looks like to live a simple life and then it be so complicated that nobody understands what I'm talking about? Simple, not simplistic. So what I want to share with you today is something I'm on a journey on myself, something that I have believed to be true and what I am pursuing within my life and something that not only do I think this is beneficial for you, I think it's beneficial for everyone in our culture, in our society, in our town, in our state, in our nation, and in our world. It is the pursuit of 
a simple life. Whenever we pull these together, simple faith, worship, love, holiness, all of that points to a deliberate and intentionally simple way of life. Now, your life is probably like mine, anything but simple. If we pull out our schedules, I don't know if you keep schedules. (laughs) If you pull out your schedule and we were to look at all the things you have going on and all the things that you need to plug into your calendar, it's probably not bare. Now, maybe your calendar on your phone's bare because you don't even have time to put it in there. (laughs) But it's probably probably not something you would label as simple. There are some people I know, and they are very intentional about having time where they just, just relax and they have downtime, nothing's going on. And, and I look at them and I just think, I have two simultaneous thoughts. One is, is supreme envy, <laughs> and the other is anger. <laughs> like, why do you get to have this kind of time? And so when we begin to understand what does it look like to live a simple life, there are some things that God teaches us that we have to embrace and we have to understand and also recognize that the world is against this happening in your life. So I've got a few scriptures I want to read to you, five main things I want to share with you that I want to go eat with you. That's going to be fun. Amen. We could just finish up now, right? Amen. Bless the food. Let's go. Let's go eat. Matthew Chapter 6, verse 25, let me ask you where, as you we go through this, where do you fall? How does this scripture impact you? He says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. How many so far are doing good? Is anybody in here anxious about their life? Anybody? 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 Yeah, I'm so anxious, I'm not even going to raise my hand. That's how anxious I am right now. These are one of those scriptures I file under, oh, One day, maybe I'll get there. (laughs) Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor eat nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I have found that so true. There are moments that things begin to crop up, and I begin to feel anxious, and I'm not sure how they're going to turn out, and I really want them to turn out one way, but they may not turn out that way. They may turn out a way that is actually going to be painful. Get anxious. And I think, oh, but God, can you just kind of fix this? His answer is not, well, if you would pray more, then you wouldn't have these anxious moments. Instead, he just says, don't worry about it. I've got it covered. And I find it so true. Tomorrow has all of its own anxieties and stresses already set aside for tomorrow. There are moments that I sit and I just pray and I think, God, help me just to not... Think about those things, and he simply says, then don't. And as simplistic as that sounds, it works. (laughs) Okay, I won't. But the problem of anxiety within our lives, it has very real consequences. The anxiety shuts you off from considering anything new. Anxiety keeps you from experiencing the world as God intended it. Instead, you experience all of the possible fears and negative things that could happen, but have not happened. But that's where your mind is fixed. So if you believe in self-fulfilling prophecies, sometimes the things going on in your life is because you fixed your mind on that. A lot of us deal with anxiousness in different ways. Our students, our young people are struggling with anxiousness because... They're not sure what the world's going to hold. They're not sure what's going to happen next. They're not sure if there's going to be a job or a career. They, if they care about what's going on in the debt of our nation or anywhere else, then 
Economists tell us that's causing great amount of anxiety among our young people. But the truth is, we can create our own anxiety. We can be completely controlled by fear, and there are certain things within our lives that keeps us in this place if we don't deal with them. And what I want to present to you is that means living a simple life. Many of the things that Jesus is talking about here, where you eat, where you sleep, most of us really are not worried about whether we're going to eat or whether we're going to have any clothes to wear. Maybe we don't like the clothes we're going to wear, but we have clothes to wear. Or if we don't, we could go get clothes either very inexpensively or we have friends that would give us clothes if we need it. And in essence, most of us don't really struggle with the fear of what I'm going to eat. For those who do, Scripture is very clear, we're supposed to know those people, we're supposed to help feed them. I mean, that is part of the role of the church. That is part of what it means to follow Christ is when we see somebody in need, we actually go and feed them. Jesus said, whenever you do this to the least of them, that's like you're actually feeding me when I'm hungry. And so when we look around and we do actually see someone who just cannot live, who cannot eat, who has no clothes, who does not have a place to lay their head at night, then Scripture says, well, we are supposed to go help provide that. Not our government, not some, not some nonprofit agency, people who say, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, Jesus changed my life. He says, okay, I'm changing your life, now go change somebody else's. And so whenever we begin to understand that, then when we read these passages, we don't automatically go to that place. Instead, we understand he's talking to me. He's talking to me. My anxiety, my anxiousness, my fears that life will not be what I hoped it would be. And I will tell you, it's, it's not what I hoped my life would be. I've not yet become a fireman. I have not yet become a jet fighter pilot, right? Uh, I have not yet uh, climbed the highest mountain in the world, nor does it look like at this point that's going to happen. My life is not what I thought it was going to be when I was 10 years old. But the truth is, we pile on anxieties about things that God says are not, not only are they not important, but they are deadly in your faith. But we believe a message of those around us that say, if you want to be happy, that's what you need. And what Jesus is saying is, that is not what you need. I've got what you need covered. You are surrounded by messages telling you to be anxious because you need more than what you have or you need to be more than what you are in order to be happy. You need to understand that you are bombarded every day by thousands of messages telling you you're not enough. You don't have enough. What you do have is not good enough. You need more. And most of us will spend the rest of our lives on the pursuit of that more. Whatever more looks like for you, because it doesn't look the same for all of us. Whatever that more is, that is what most of us are pursuing within our lives, within our time, and within our resources. Look at your schedule. What does your schedule say about the pursuits of your life? Where are you spending your time? Do you have time? I find fewer and fewer people have margin within their lives. And it's not because they don't have enough free time in their lives. It's just that the free time is filled up with stuff that doesn't help. In fact, oftentimes it hurts. We live in a world that pushes you not to live a simple life, but a very complex life. Because in the complexity, something makes us feel important. It makes us feel proud. It makes us feel better. Many of the anxieties that we struggle with is... It's the reality that we really inside don't feel very good at all. We don't, we don't feel like life is good. Life is going to be good. We've begun to believe that life is bad. It's going to be bad. And rather than dealing with life in the way that God says that it is, what we tend to do is just gloss over or escape it. Some people escape with drugs, some people escape with alcohol, some people escape with entertainment, some people escape with buying stuff, some people escape by going shopping and never buying anything, which I don't understand why you would submit yourself to that hell, but 
People do it. There's ther- yeah, yeah, retail therapy is it's called. Yeah, you know who came up with that title? Yeah, someone who had something to sell came up with the title retail therapy. I've said several times in the past that you cannot directly link contentment, wholeness with income. You look around the world, some of the poorest people in the world are some of the happiest people in the world. Some of the wealthiest people in the world are some of the unhappiest people in the world. I came across this article. It's written by a writer for the American Psychological Association. Anybody familiar with the APA, you know they are not a Christian organization. And even they recognize this problem. It says this, compared with Americans in 1957, today we own twice as many cars per person, eat out twice as often, and enjoy endless other commodities that weren't around then. Big screen TVs, microwave ovens, SUVs, handheld wireless devices, to name a few. But are we any happier? Certainly happiness is difficult to pin down, let alone measure. But a recent literature, literature review suggests we're no more contented than we were then. In fact, maybe less so. Compared with their grandparents, today's young adults have grown up with much more affluence, slightly less happiness, and much greater risk of depression and assorted social pathology. Our becoming much better off over the last four decades has not been accompanied by one iota of increased subjective well-being. And yet most of us are on the path to produce in order that we can consume as much as we possibly can. We have more stuff than we need. We have more stuff than anybody needs. Right now, I find it amazing, uh, not only amazing, but I find it just good for my soul, uh, the whole sweep to get rid of stuff with with Marie Kondo. Anybody watching Marie Kondo? Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you, want to feel, if you want to feel some relief in your life, throw some stuff away. All right? You think, oh, Mark, you don't know what I have. I've got all good stuff. No, you don't. No, you don't. Within my family, I'm somewhat of uh, uh, different. My sister, she is the sentimental one. She owns everything that our family has ever had. In fact, whenever we go through... Uh, we go talk about, you know, going through the house when my parents pass away, which I know is really kind of demented, but we, we talk about this with my mom and dad. So it's, it's legal. It's fair, right? Anyways, <laughs> basically what I tell her is you get everything in the attic and the main level. I get everything in the bottom level. Well, that's the garage. I get everything in the garage. You get all the rest of the stuff. My parents have made an intentional effort to clear out the closet over the last several years coming to see us. We have something for you. Became very unhappy words for me. <laughs> it means we cleaned out some of our junk. We brought our junk to you so you can have more junk. That is exactly what they said. And yet I find it amazing that Marie Kondo is so popular right now with the central message of you have too much stuff. Now, you don't become popular in entertainment circles without people resonating with you. So the truth is, what I'm telling you is not new, nor is it something you're probably pushing back on at all. Because you feel it. You know it's true. But simply having less stuff is not the answer to a full life. It is an answer, and it is part of the answer that God has for us. But it is not the only answer. But there are things that work in our culture that are driving us to this place where we have more and yet we are less fulfilled, less content, less happy. And when that begins to happen, we question God more, we doubt God more, we walk away from God more when God is not the one who put us in that place. But because we have so intermingled our affluence with God's blessing And somehow we have tied them together that if I don't have affluence, it's God's fault. And if I do have affluence and I'm not happy, it's still God's fault. But there's one one common denominator in both, and it is not God. It is us. So what does it look like to pursue a simple life? We recognize that the life in which we live, the the, the number of, of messages coming to us saying, you are not enough on your own. How do we fight that? And what I've shared with you before and what I think you already know is that we can't find godly contentment in the pursuit of earthly happiness. 
There's a difference between happiness as we, we define it on earth and a contentment that comes being whole and complete in God. There are two different things. And we so want God and contentment in God to be happiness as the world says because happiness with the world says you have no problems, you have no fears, you have no anxieties, nothing ever goes wrong, everything goes right for you, and that is what we perceive as happiness. But God never said that is what it looks like to know Him. What He said was you will be full, you will be taken care of, you will be content, you will have joy. And we're in a culture that is losing joy quickly. Joy is replaced with outrage. And we don't sit and stop and say, well, maybe what I'm doing is not working. We don't have time for that because we're on a path to make up for it. We cannot find godly contentment in the pursuit of earthly happiness. Jesus called this a hidden mystery. And the reality is, is that in our faith, we will see what we choose to see. Matthew eleven twenty five says, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. That was sarcasm. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're a regular attender here, you've heard me read this several times over the last several months. And the reason I keep bringing it up is because so many people keep missing it. What Jesus is trying to say. Living simply is living in the eternal joy that Jesus is the answer to all your needs. If we want to just stop there, we could. But I feel I need to share more with you. But living simply is living in the eternal joy that Jesus is the answer to all your needs. In other words, He is everything you ever wanted. Everything in your mind, everything in your heart that you say, you know what I really want? Is a misplaced understanding of what God is trying to give you. Every single thing. Because he's trying over and over and over to get us to see the world differently, to interact with the world differently, to function in the world differently. Because the world is broken. It's filled with sin. And we have the opportunity to walk away from that and experience this hidden mystery that he says most people will not see. The wise and understanding don't see it. That's the sarcasm. The people who think they get it, the the smart people. I'm very careful not to count myself as one of those because they're not usually talked about very well in Scripture. But instead he says little children. It's the one who come just so innocently seeking God that see the mysteries of heaven and God at work in the world around us. Those are the people that see what life is all about. And that's where a simple life takes us. Not the complex, not the competent, not the better than anybody else. Just humbly, quietly coming to Him. It's living in the eternal joy that Jesus is the answer. Is Jesus the answer for us? We went through the series of parables, and so many of the parables were just talking about how great God is, and how important Jesus is. The woman who scours her home because she has lost a coin, and she cleans and turns over everything in the, in the home until she finds that coin because that was her treasure. A man who went out in the field and found a treasure greater than anything he had ever seen. He sold everything that he had so he could go buy that field, so he could have that treasure, because that treasure was the most important thing you could have. Jesus is saying, that is me. Get rid of everything else, and you still have everything. And yet something in us says, but it's not enough. If you're single, you think I need a spouse. If you're a spouse, you think you need to be single. I mean, not really. Don't <laughs> scrub that from the recording. We'll have marriage counseling after lunch today. All right. If you're poor, you think it's rich. If you're rich, you think I have. If I had fewer responsibilities, we just think, gosh, if I just, if my life was different in this whatever way, life would be so much better. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm here. Life doesn't get better than that. 
And yet because we have so intermingled affluence with God's blessing, we are so confused so much of the time thinking that we have to pursue affluence and that is somehow pursuing God's blessing. And what it's doing is it is pushing you into a place in which you will never crawl out of. Mark 4.14, the parable of the sower. I want you to listen very intently for those who miss the gospel. Listen to what they're struggling with. This is Jesus explaining the the parable to his disciples. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, where they hear. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world. Immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. Listen to this. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Go back to the seed thrown on the among the thorns, because that's where we're focused today. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke it out in us. Uh, I was talking with a friend who said, you know, I don't know anybody whose life isn't better with more money. And I find that there is a, a certain level of truth in that. If you've got nothing, more money gives you a momentary feeling of security and safety, and you feel good. If you're in debt and someone gives you something or relieves your debt, then you feel better because the stress of having to repay that debt is gone, and so there is some benefit to that. If you do come from a household where there's not enough food for everyone to eat, and and now you have more income so that now you know where your next meal is going to come from, there, there is a peace that comes with that that not everyone has, that makes you feel better. But the problem with getting our peace from our income is that our security is rooted in something other than Christ. It's one of the reasons that when Jesus sent out his disciples, he said, don't take anything with you. This was not a prescription for following Jesus. In other words, if you want to follow Jesus, you can't own anything. That's not what he's saying. But what he wanted them to understand was your security will either be in yourselves, in your own gifts, in your own affluence, or your security will be in me, your trust will be in me. So as you go out and begin to understand what it means to share my mission, then you need to not take anything with you. Don't take an extra set of clothes. Don't take extra money. Don't take extra food. Don't take that. Instead, you're going to rely on God working in the lives of the people you come in contact with to take care of your needs. Because he wants our trust and our security to be in him, not in us. And I will tell you, when I have a good size amount of income in the bank, I'm not needing to trust God very much. Now, for those of you who have a nice amount in the bank, that does not mean you need to give it to me. Although, if you wanted to, I will meet you after with account numbers that are relevant. The purpose is not that you're supposed to be poor. You can't follow Jesus unless you're poor. In fact, whenever we begin to understand how the church works, we begin to understand spiritual gifts, we understand that God actually gives great ability for some to earn money. And one of the great purposes is that so that they can be generous. While we're all called to be generous, we can't follow Jesus without being generous. You can't. There are some that are generous above and beyond. It is a supernatural ability, a supernatural gift, a spiritual gift that comes through the Holy Spirit in their lives. Also comes with a great amount of discipline. But the deceitfulness of riches, and the deceitfulness of riches is the deceitfulness that I will be okay if I'm rich. Life will be good if I'm rich. Because as we talked about with simple holiness, there is coming a time, there is going to be a judgment, and he's not going to say, what was your net worth? That's not, the, that's not the criteria. 
the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of the world. Gosh, if we just went around the world and say, what are, what do, how would you define? Let's just do this. How would you define the cares of the world? Somebody just throw something out. When you, what do you think he's talking about here? And it's not just money. So what are some cares of the world that choke stuff out in us? Just throw it out there. Authority. Authority. What? Power. Power. Prestige. What else? Envy. Envy. What other cares of the world choke, chokes this out of us? Other people's anger, other people's anger and outrage? Politics? Politics? No. <laughs> Telling me you don't feel better after? Okay. That's, that's no, not a conversation for here, right? Yeah. What else? What are the other cares of the world? So, somebody has somebody's opinion for whatever reason we make it more important than it should be see in all of these cares of the world what ends up happening whether it be politics you know politics we put too much hope in politics and some of us who have been around a little longer than others of us we we recognize it more because there's never been a good place to put your hope but you really don't want to put your hope in it for a, for a long time now you kind of grew up in it, and you're just like, this is just the way politics are. But you don't put your hope in it. Opinions. It's amazing how much we put our hope in the opinions of others. What other people think of us begin, begin to become the identity that we hold very dear to us. And riches. My hope are in, in my riches, because I can take care of myself. Something happens, I got it covered. The car breaks down, and I got it. Something happens with the house, I got it. We want to go on a trip, I got it. We want to go buy something, we got it. I mean, that's living last the American dream. And the cares of the world are where we put our hopes in. Power, prestige, popularity. Gosh, I'll just do whatever I have to do to get those things. And you end up losing your soul along the way. Jesus is saying, This is I, I'm it. You don't need that stuff. That stuff is poison to you. So how do we guard ourselves against the cares of the world? Five things I want to share with you very briefly. One is we have to pursue and adopt truth. It's not enough to pursue truth. You have to adopt truth. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks, and, uh, and, and we're not going to spend a lot of time here. But if you're going to guard yourself against the cares of the world, you've got to know the difference between what is real and what is not, what is God-ordained and what is not, what is the care of the world and what is the care of God. You, you don't know that unless you pursue and then we adopt truth. Because a lot of people have pursued truth but never adopted. You can read a whole lot about Jesus and never follow anything that he says. You've got to pursue it, and you have to adopt it. This is where James says, don't just be hearers, but be doers of the word. The second thing to guard yourself against, and this is a huge thing for us, I believe the biggest thing for us today that we have to guard ourselves against is we have to reject consumerism. I didn't get any amens on that. Let me try again. We need to reject consumerism. All right, I think those were all fake, but thank you for indulging me. Your opinions now make me feel better about myself. <laughs> we have to reject consumerism. You know what consumerism is? It is the belief ultimately that I will feel whole by getting more. It is the belief that I will never be whole just as I am. Jesus says, well, I didn't come to you and tell you you needed to become more for me to love you. In fact, I imparted the only thing you really do need, and that is Jesus. We have to reject consumerism. Consumerism is draining us. It is killing us. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I love this, these verses. Jesus is literally saying, I'm here all the time. You need something. I'm here. Maybe the reason that we don't believe this is because what we perceive as a need is not a need. 
You don't ever do that, do you? You know what I need right now? I, you know, fill in the blank. It's not really a need. What Jesus is saying here is that whenever we are pursuing money and we are no longer content, something has changed within our hearts. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, okay, I got it. I'm supposed to be happy with what I have. I got it. Simple message. We can wrap this thing up and we can go. Understand that is not the context of this verse. We are the wealthiest people on the face of the planet. Some of you will reject that by saying, no, I'm not. But if we compare ourselves with the rest of the world, we are the wealthiest people on the face of the planet. Every person in here. Whenever this was given, this was given to a group of people who were walking away from everything they had to know Christ. It means their family rejected them. It means their parents kicked them out of the home. It means the people that were their friends said, do never talk to me again. And this is not just something that happened then. This still happens today. And so what, what he's saying here in Hebrews is not, you know what, you've got so much stuff, just don't want more. Just be happy with what you've got. That is not what he's saying. He's, at, he's literally saying, don't, not only be content with what you have, but be content with what you don't have. That's a very different message. Be content with what you don't have. How many are good at that? I've got to put my hand down. How many of us are content with what we don't have? And yet Jesus says you don't need it. You don't need it. One of the things that my childhood dreams has come, that has come true is, is having a, a digital device within my hand that I can do anything I want on <laughs> at any time. Isn't it fun? Play games. We were traveling yesterday and uh, Jake and Jonathan and I, we were playing a game on, on our phones with each other. It was fun. A lot of fun. If I want to reach out and find something else out, I can. We have more information at our fingertips than any person in the history of the world has ever had. We can reach out to anyone around the country anytime we want, and yet increasingly that little device that we put in our pockets and we hold in our hand, what that is is a marketing loudspeaker telling you your life is not enough. Over and over again, marketers are smarter than us. They know how to manipulate us. Jake and I found a, a show that we like to watch, and I will, wa- I will warn you, there are some episodes that are not exactly kid-friendly, some of the older stuff. And, and when I say kid-friendly, it's you know, language is usually. I want to show you a little clip. This one is kid-friendly, by the way, if you've got kids in here. I don't know if you've got any kids in here. It's a fun show. It's called Adam Ruins Everything. Has anybody seen Adam Ruins Everything? Yeah, it's a fun show. It's a lot of fun. It's a combination of history, reality, comedy, and uh, just the purpose of the show, in his words, is to reveal or debunk myths within the world or help us to understand why we do what we do. This is a, a little video that he did on uh, the rise of mouthwash. Here, 
Funny, funny little couple of minutes talking about how Listerine created a market for itself by shaming people into believing into something they didn't believe to begin with. Now, I don't know how many of you, I don't even want to ask this now because it's not fair, but how many of you use Listerine this morning, right? Herman did. Herman did. Hook, line, and sinker, Herman. Hook, line, and sinker. All right. The reason I wanted to show you that is that's just one example of the ways that a group of people intent on making money who understands personal behavior can convince you you are not enough without their product. They don't care about making you more. What they care is about making themselves more money. And the little devices that we have in our hands allow them to feed this stuff to us 24-7. And if we're honest about the amount of time either we're watching TV or we're watching our phones or watching videos, the number of ads that you see every day ranges in the thousands. And we don't even recognize it. Little encouragements that if you had this, then you would be happier. Jesus says this is the path in the opposite direction. We have to reject consumerism. It is a great show. There are some more fun ones on there. One of our favorite is where the myth of the engagement ring came from. Why we give diamonds and the fact that they are intrinsically worthless. You should go and watch that. It <laughs> will make you feel good about the diamond that you have on your finger. One of the reasons that we have embraced consumerism and it has infiltrated every area of our life is because we are trying to create our own world dynamic that makes us happy. Scripture said this is what is going to happen. This happened back in the nation of Israel and it's happening even today. Listen to Jeremiah 2. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, what God is saying is, I am the source of living water. You might remember Jesus' conversation that he had with the woman at the well in which he said, I, what I would give you, you will never thirst again. I have living water. You will never thirst again. God's been offering that to people. And he says, instead of taking what I'm offering, they hew out their own cisterns. They create their own water table, their own water containers, so that they don't have to rely on my water. They can store their own, but they're broken. They're empty. There's nothing there, but they're still hewing them out. And that's what consumerism does for us. It is the hope and the belief that we can somehow make things better on our own. The greatest threat to a simple life is consumerism. When we come to church waiting to see what has been prepared for our consumption, that is consumerism. When we come to a Bible study and we come in unprepared, unpraying, and we are not coming not only to to see and experience something, but also to give something of ourselves, that is consumerism. I've come to see what you have prepared for me. It's one of the primary reasons people jump from church to church and they say, oh, they did not provide enough for me that I felt like I had consumed something good. I will go try somewhere else. Maybe they will provide for me something that when I consume it, I feel better. And what Jesus says is, but you will never consume enough because the way that you lead, you get there, is that you give, you engage, you take what I've done in your life, you share it with others. And you can see how evil consumerism begins to become when we understand that God says, I have created you to give, and we have embraced an idea that says you are created to consume. If statistics are true, you know, statistics are not the most trustworthy. 
The vast majority of you in this room are limited in your consumption because not only are you living at your means, you are also in debt to the maximum level you can be. You've so bought into the idea of consumption of the stuff that you need that you're leveraged to the hilt and you've got no leverage financially. If you wanted to be generous, you never could because there's nothing left. I told you the story. We, we went and uh, got a membership at Costco and where my brother over here works and they said, listen, they have two levels of membership that you can do. And one is you can pay more and get a higher percentage of cash back. And we were like, cash back? Yes. Amen. We're in. Or you can get a credit card you can get 2% cash back on that credit card. But do you have any idea what the interest rate is on that credit card if you miss a payment? They lure you in with 2% cash back, and then I don't know what the rate is. I don't, want to, I don't want to defame whatever their plan is, but most of these credit cards are in 15 to 20% range. We'll give you 2 if you give us 20 And because we're leveraged to the hilt, we will charge it up with the hope for 2% cash back and we can't pay that bill. And so they get the other 18% when the bill comes due because we can't pay it. When we talk about doing something for God, going somewhere, going on and doing missions somewhere, we talk about helping to fund the church. When we talk about seeing someone who's in need and we can go help meet that need because they themselves cannot take care of their lives on their own. We can't do it because we're so consuming everything to our maximum limit. We've got nothing to give. And what God says is, is that is the path to despair. That's so why Scripture says that the borrower is slave to the lender. I first learned this when we went to buy our first home. We were young, did not make much money at all. And I got approved for like a, I, I want to say it was a $400,000 house. I think my income was about $40,000 a year. Household income, maybe $40,000 a year. And I could own a $400,000 house. I was like, praise the Lord. God is good. You have any idea what kind of a mortgage payment comes on a $400,000 house? Fortunately, we saw through it. First time we bought a car, we went in and I sat down with a finance guy and he said, you know what? I've got, a, I've got a beautiful thing that has just been created for someone just like you to get the most out of life. It's called an adjustable rate mortgage. You know what an adjustable rate mortgage is? You come and you sit down and you're this eager, you know, naive person who doesn't know much of anything. And they sit down and say, you don't need a $5,000 car. You need a $50,000 car and we're going to help you get it. Okay, how's that? Well, you're not making much money now. Well, yeah, duh, I've already had that conversation. But you probably will make more over time. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a next to nothing interest rate for the first year. We're going to get you in, signed on the dotted line, committed. This is yours. You're going to have it. You're going to be the envy of everyone you went to. Everyone who picked on you in high school is going to just cower when you drive by in this new car. It is going to be, your life's going to be so much better. Okay, what happens after the first year? That's awesome. Well, it's going to go up. Okay, what about the next year? It's going to go up a lot more. About the next year, it's going to go up even more. Yeah, you won't be able to afford that one. But the first year is going to be awesome. If you've ever been duped into an adjustable rate, interest rate on anything, you need to get out of it as soon as possible because it is a scam. And yet we do it. So consumerism draws out in us. So similarly, the third way that I want to share with you of guarding against the cares of the world is be a giver. This is why Jesus says, pursue my kingdom, not your own. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry about all this stuff. It's going to be okay. I've got you. But first, first, the first thing you do, seek his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. And if we could get this one thing, then it would change our lives and it would change the world. Be a giver. Pursue his kingdom instead of our own. Fourth thing. Then I want us to see us continue to, to grow in this within our church and in our small groups. Spend time in meditation and prayer. 
Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Honestly, when's the last time you were still and experienced God? When was the last time that you were still and experienced God? I don't mean you hurriedly told God he had a few minutes before you get on to your next thing. I mean you were still and you experienced God. That call is still on our lives. That is still what he's pushing us to, drawing us to. Deep meditation and centering prayer where we spend significant amounts of time praying and just waiting to hear from God has always been a practice of early believers. But it's a practice that we don't do anymore. We feel like, well, if I pray a little prayer before I eat my meal, or you know, when we go to church, we pray, or if we get together with our small group, we might pray, but, but significant centering prayer within your daily life where you spend significant amounts of time being still and quiet, listening for God, praying, meditating on His Word, that's not a practice that most of us, that we, we do in our lives. And yet it will change your life. Fifth, th- fifth thing, and we really need another, another day on this. We're not going to, but maybe down the road. The fifth thing is you have to create margin to experience God's work in the world and in your life. You have to create margin. Now this is where I am very hypocritically sharing this with you because Deidre and I don't have a lot of margin in our life. And yet this is one of our great goals that we're working towards intently right now. It means pulling back on some things so that we can fully gauge in better things. As far as I know, we're not engaged in any bad things. But some of the good things are choking out the better things. You have to create margin within your life. And God told us this from the beginning. The fourth commandment is the commandment that you must keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. Deuteronomy 5.12, talking about the Sabbath, says this, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor, do all your work. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and thus the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. In other words, you need a rhythm of life that involves regular rest. If you do not have a rhythm of life that involves regular rest, you are never going to grow. We have to have margin in our time. Margin in our resources is hard. I think for many people, margin in our time is even harder. If you think, well, that was for then, that was the Old Testament, and you know, that was the Ten Commandments. We don't have to follow that stuff anymore. Jesus in Mark 2.22 said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What he means here is, you needed this. I, I didn't create you because I wanted the Sabbath to exist. I created the Sabbath because you needed it to exist fully. Do you have a rhythm of life that gives you time to rest? What if God said to you right now, in this moment, I have been working your entire life to lead you to a place of fulfilling your calling within this world, and I need you to, I need you to go now. Could you do it? Do you have margin? What if God had something to say to you that you've been asking Him, and He's just waiting for you to have the moment that you are still long enough to be able to hear Him? Do you have margin when you leave here, what does your rest of your day look like? Is it filled? Oh no, man, I've got a Sabbath. We're going to go home and binge watch something on Netflix. Well, then your day's full. When do you have quiet, still time to rest, to reflect on who God is and what God has done? How are you being rejuvenated? 
you know, you know the word recreation, where it comes from? The word recreation, outdoing silly, fun, enjoyable things, means you are being recreated. You need to be out doing things that are fun, things that are restful. You need to be out being quiet and considering what God has done in your life. Perhaps not pulling you out of the land of Egypt, but he has pulled us out of so many worse places. Dallas Willard said this, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I read that. I I read that knowing it's true without practicing it on a regular basis. We have to move in this direction. The reason we hurry, I've told you this before, the reason we say, hey, how's it going? Oh man, I'm so busy. Is not because we actually are doing so many wonderful things, it's because it feels good to say I'm busy. It feels good to be in a hurry. Because whenever we're talking to somebody, hey, how are you doing? Oh, good, you know, we're just kind of hanging out. Oh, I can't do that. I've got important things I've got to get to. More important, obviously, than you've got in your life because you're just sitting around doing nothing. But I'm busy. I'm hurrying. I'm important. Usually, the desire to say I'm busy is rooted in the desire to say I'm important. Because Jesus is saying, be still. Stop. Rest. Consider what God is saying to you. Have margin. Don't be busy. Here's what I want to close with. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us cast these hooks out of us. Let's lay aside these weights. Let's pursue a simple life so that we can fully experience Christ within us. Let us reject the idea of what the world says is valuable and instead, let's go after Jesus. Because the truth is, you cannot see God if you never stop to look. It won't happen. Living simply means removing all of the distractions of this world so you can fully experience Christ. I will tell you that if you are sitting there thinking, there's no way I can create margin right now. Okay, okay. But don't reject this. Work towards it. It may take you some time. Work towards it. I don't have any margin in my finances. Okay, okay. The last thing I want to do is when it comes to giving an offering that you slide your credit card that you're paying 25% interest on that you're already leveraged against. Okay, it takes time. But work towards it. Don't reject it outright. Because God is saying there is more in this life if you will cast off the weight of this world. There is more if you will look for God. He will show you there is more to being whole than having more. There is more in knowing Christ. Just pray with me. Father, God, I pray for us in this room that you would give us wisdom to cast off the things that are holding us down, that are keeping us burdened. Father, I pray for those in this room that are so resonating with this, but yet they feel trapped and and unable to break free. God, I know that you bring freedom in all areas of life if we rely on you. And I pray that you would give hope and assurance that you are at work within them. Father, I pray that you will help them to make wise decisions in their time and in their resources. Father, I pray that you would give us a filter so that when we get these messages telling us you're not enough, you need more to be happy. We will see it for what it is, an evil ploy from the enemy. Father, help us to be full and complete just as you have called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.